0: Wonderful. Great. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? We hold up the Word of God all over the building this evening, and I want to ask you to join me, if you will, way back in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, Leviticus, chapter 17, page number uh, 150, 150, if you have an old Scofield Bible, the book of Leviticus, chapter 17. And I'm more or less just going to read a verse here and jump off into something. Uh, you ever come to church and just hear a preacher preach a shotgun message, uh, this is going to be a shotgun gun message tonight, and if you'll just bear with me, and I won't have you to turn to a bunch of places. We'll put some verses up on the screen and just share a thought with you. I'm beginning a brand new series of sermons tonight that I'll probably shift to Wednesday night a little bit later on, but I want to share something with you from God's Word tonight, Leviticus chapter 17. Don't forget our Wednesday night service again at 7. Sure hope you'll be here, and we're looking forward to having a good time together in God's house this Wednesday evening. Well, let's pray together. Father, would you Bless your word now tonight and speak to our hearts from the Bible. Encourage us, teach us something. Help us, Lord, to get a hold of a truth that will encourage our hearts moving forward into these days. And bless your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the greatest gift, without doubt, that God has ever given to mankind is uh, is the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, He is God's greatest gift. And by the way, it is through Jesus that we receive the gift of salvation and also the gift of eternal life. So the Apostle Paul, on one occasion, just probably filled with jubilation and uh, just filled with uh, love and adoration for the Savior, said this in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse number 15, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. But you know, following right on the hill of that, uh, that, without doubt, uh, the second greatest gift that God has ever given to mankind is the Bible, the Word of God, You know something? You really can't separate Jesus from the Bible or separate the Bible from Jesus. They're very intimately and closely related. We know that throughout the Bible one, uh, that Jesus was called by a variety, a variety of different names. You know, we think about Christmas time. We think about that verse that said he's wonderful, he's counselor, he's the mighty God, the everlasting Father. the prince. He is called by a variety of names throughout the Bible. But you know, one of the names that Jesus is referred to, one of the greatest names, is when Jesus is called the Word of God. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 19 and verse number 13, the Bible said, speaking of Jesus, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called, and then there it is, Jesus himself is called the Word of God. But then we know also as we work our way through the Bible that the Bible is also called the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, we read this, For the Word of God is Quick. And the point that I'm trying to make tonight by saying that is simply this God linked the character of the Lord Jesus and the character of the Bible together. In fact, can I tell you there are many similarities between our Bible and between the Lord Jesus Himself. Did you know that God sent Jesus into the world to be our Savior? The Bible tells us over in the book of John, chapter 16 and verse number 28, Jesus said, I came forth from the Father and and am come into the world, and I leave the the world and go into the Father. Jesus said the reason I came into the world is because the Father sent me into the world. But did you know also that the Bible was given to us by God as well? Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse number 16 we read that the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Hey, can I tell you Jesus came into this world because God gave him here and the Bible was God's gift to this world. Jesus was given to us to humanity by a supernatural act of the Holy Ghost of God. Over in the Gospel of John chapter 1, I'm sorry, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 verse 35, the Bible talks about the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and the Holy Ghost shall come upon. You know how we got Jesus? You know how Jesus was born of a a virgin? Because the Holy Ghost, through a supernatural act of God, produced seed in the womb of a virgin. We got the, uh, the Lord Jesus by a supernatural act of the Holy Ghost of God. Can I tell you something? We got our Bible through a supernatural act of the Holy Ghost of God. Over in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, the Bible says, "...the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost." Brother, I'm telling you, we got the Bible through a supernatural act of of, of the Holy Ghost. I said all that to say this. Boy, there's a lot of similarities between Jesus and the Bible. You know something we need as God's people? We need to spend time in the Bible, don't we? Because in reality, when we spend time with the Bible, we're spending time with Jesus. And when we spend time with Jesus, then we'll spend time in the Bible. You cannot be a good Christian. You cannot be a growing Christian. You cannot be a godly Christian without the Bible. We need the Bible. So I'm beginning tonight a brand new series of sermons. I preached uh, two or three years ago on the subject 52 Bible verses every child of God should know. But now I'm beginning a brand new series of sermons and I'm calling this, By Bible words that every child of God should know. Bible words. You know, there is a push on in our society today to get us to stop using Bible words. I'm talking about even in the house of God. If you go to some of these very progressive, contemporary church movements and churches uh, that uh, dot the landscape of, of our society today, you won't hear good words, good Bible words like saved. You won't hear good Bible words like the blood. You won't hear good Bible words like redemption because there's saying we need to we need to use words that people are familiar with but I thank God for good Bible words hey I'm not looking to change the Bible not one bit and I tell you what bless your heart the word of God will still get the job done if we'll just get up and tell people what the word of God has to say so I'm talking about Bible words I'm not talking about necessarily Bible verses I'm just talking about Bible words that every child of God ought to know. So what I'm going to do over the next several weeks, I'm going to just go by our alphabet. I'm going to start with the letter A. I'm going to go all the way through the letter Z. Of course, obviously, there's probably some letters like X. You know, you're not going to find a whole lot of Bible words that begin with the letter X. But I just want to, I want to give you some Bible words. Uh, Tonight, I'm going to start with the letter A. But I'm going to give you some good Bible words that every child of God ought to be familiar with. And tonight, we're just going to start with the letter A. I got to thinking, these are not my words for tonight, but I got to thinking, boy, there's a lot of good Bible words that we ought to be familiar with that begin with the letter A. I got to thinking about this. What about the word ark, A-R-K, ark? That's a good Bible word. You know, there were two arks mentioned in the Bible. There was the ark that Noah built, and then there was the ark of the covenant that the children of Israel carried through the wilderness. Both of those arks are mighty important to the people of God. There's a good Bible word in the word ark. What about this? This is not my word, but what about the word angel? Boy, God's people ought to know about the angels. You know that? I mean, you say, preacher, how many angels are there? The Bible said there is an innumerable company of angels. We don't Even know how many angels they are. We know one thing about angels, they're all male, though. There's not one mention of one female angel. And I hate to hurt the lady's feelings, and I'm not trying to, but there's not one mention of one female angel in the entire Word of God. The word angel, boy, that's a good word that we ought to be familiar with. I thought about this word. Here's a good word. What about the word altar? Boy, that's a word that God's people ought to be familiar with. I counted it this week. The word altar is used 428 times in both the Old and the New Testament. The altar is the place where God meets with man. The altar is the place where man meets with God. Can I stop and say this? Don't ever be afraid to use the altar. It seems like it seems like in these days of this COVID pandemic that we're living in people don't even come to the altar like they used to but I just want to tell you don't you're not going to get the you're not going to get COVID around the altar I mean buddy we lost all this thing now and every time every week we get in here and clean this church up real good hey don't you be afraid to come to the altar I've told you before I worry about people that don't come to the altar more than I worry about people who do come to the altar if there's been a day God's people ought to gather around the altar and meet with God. It's in these days in which we're living in. Don't. Hey, our church has always believed in altar activity. Hey, I'm not about to shut the I take COVID can do what COVID wants to do. The governor can do what the governor wants to do. But bless your heart, when we come to church here, we're going to open up the altars because God's people need to get on the altar again. Amen. That's a good word. That begins with the letter A, but that's not my words for tonight. Let me just give you, if I can, it's 616. Let me give you just two or three. I have a fourth one, depending on time. But let me give you two or three good Bible words that we ought to be familiar with that begin with the letter A. How many of y'all are with me now? You're with me on this. All right, here we go. Let's talk about number one. The first word that begins with the letter A that I think God's people ought to be familiar with is the word atonement. The word atonement. Now, that's a very uh, popular word. It's a word that uh, is used a number of times throughout the Bible. 78 times in our Bible, we run into the word atone. Or atonement or atoning in the Bible. You know, sometimes we use that word uh, as just a, an overall reference to the finished work of redemption on, on the cross of Calvary. We say Jesus atoned. For the death uh, for uh, for sin by his death on the cross of Calvary, and I get it. I think we mean well when we use that, but basically the word atonement, the idea of atonement, is an old Testament idea. I told you a moment ago it 's mentioned seventy eight times in the bible seventy seven of those times it is in the Old Testament that we read the word atonement or some some abbreviation, some form of it in the Old Testament. 77 times we bump into that word atonement. Only one time is it used in the New Testament, and that's over in the book of Revelation, chapter number 5, and verse number 11, where it talks about there, uh, let's see, where's it at? Right there in the middle of that verse. Uh, somewhere in there. I may have wrote the wrong verse down, but it's in there. Well, it's in one of them verses over in Revelation, anyway, chapter 5, and it's used over there talking about the atonement. Now we know as an Old Testament idea that the nation of Israel every year had one day set aside and they called it the Day of Atonement. If you were a Jew brought up and pretty much today still brought up in, in Judaism, but if you were a Jew especially in Old Testament, New Testament times, though there were a number of special days, spiritual days on the calendar throughout the year, there was a couple of those days that were near and dear to your heart. The first one was the day of the Passover. Boy, that was important for you as a Jew to remember the Passover. The word Passover is a familiar word in the Bible. We may get to that when we get to the letter P. But that was an important day. But also the day of atonement. It was so important that God required all the Jews in the land of Israel to not only fast but to pray all day long on the day of atonement. Pretty much so to this very day, the Jews still commemorate the day. Of atonement. There's two words in our Bible used for the Old Testament word atonement. First of all, there's the word kafar, kaphar, K A P H A R, the kaphar. The first time we run into the word kaphar is back in Genesis chapter number six, where the Bible said that Noah pitched the ark within and without with pitch. The Old Testament word pitch is the word kfar or the word atonement. In other words, what it was that kept the waters of judgment out of the ark from seeking that ark and destroying Noah and his family and all the animals on the ark was the Old Testament atonement. Friend, I'll tell you something. The only thing that's going to keep the waters of judgment from flooding over our souls one of these days, thank God is the finished work of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. Thank God for the But then there's another word that she used in the Old Testament for atonement, and that's the word kipper. K I P P U R. The word kipper. You may have heard of Yom Kippur. Have you ever heard that word before? That is the day of atonement. And that word simply means this it means to cover. That's what it means. So when we carry with it the idea of atonement, what we're talking about is to cover especially when it comes to the covering of sin. Now, join me in Leviticus 17. Let me read you a verse with the word atonement in it. Look at verse 11. The Bible said this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. Could I stop and say? Science has certainly proved that. By the way, if science hadn't proved that, it still would be true because it's in the Bible. The life of the flesh, your life, you take your blood out, you're not going to last. You drain the blood out of these bodies. Our bodies are going to die. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But then notice this phrase in verse 11, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement, there it is, a covering for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. It is the blood, the blood, speaking about the blood of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament. On the day of atonement, two goats were brought to the high priest. He would lay his hands on the head of one goat, transferring all the guilt and all the sin of the nation for that past year upon the head of that goat. And that goat was then killed, and the other goat was taken out into the wilderness and released into the wilderness signifying that because the sins have been covered there is now spiritual freedom in the midst of the land of Israel. But we know one thing about the blood of animals. The blood of animals could not take away sin. All the blood of animals could do was to, be, was to provide a covering for sin. That's the reason we read over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 4. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. All those Old Testament sacrifices, the blood of those animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament, all they could do was to provide a covering for sin. When they brought those animals, their sins were covered for another year. I kind of liken it like this. I think atonement carries with it the idea of sweeping the dirt under the rug. You ever done that before? Sometimes at our house, my job sometimes is is to sweep the floors if if company's coming. I, I have to sweep the floors and sometimes I'll even vacuum the floors. But there have been some occasions when company was coming, and I, I didn't have enough time. I would lift up the rug and all the dirt that I've only seen my wife do this one time in being married to her for almost 36 years. And that was not too long ago. Company was coming. But sometimes I'll get my pile of dirt up. And what we do is, at our house, I don't know how y'all do it, but we, we, get all, we sweep it all up into one pile and then get the vacuum out and just suck it all up at one time and then vacuum the carpet. But, uh, but uh, you know, we pile it all up. But when companies come, if I run out of time, I'll just kick the rug back, sweep it under the rug, put the rug back on top of it, and it looks good. The only problem is pull the rug back and the dirt is still there. That is Old Testament blood. That is Old Testament sacrifice. When anybody brought their their, uh, sacrifice, it was like a covering. It was like putting the sin under the rug. Pull the rug back, the sin was still there, but at least there was a covering on top of it. But bless your heart when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. He just didn't die so that our sin might be covered. He died in order that our sins might be cleansed and it might be cleared in the sight of God. Now because of the Christ, the work of Christ on Calvary, our sins are not just set aside. Our sins are not just covered over or let me use some old testament terminology our sins are not just as far as the east is from the west our sins are not just sewed up in a bag our sins are not just cast behind god's back our sins are not just placed in the sea of god's forgetfulness preacher where they at thank god because of the blood of christ they are gone so when we speak about atonement, we may be speaking about what Jesus did on the cross. I get all that, but can I tell you something? He did so much more, so much more than just atone for our sin. Thank God he not only forgave the sin, but he cleansed the sinner and cleared the sin away. That's the reason when we confess sin to God. Don't go back and confess it over and over and over again because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all the sin. Hey, aren't you glad? Pull the rug back. man. Pull the rug back. It's not there. All that stuff that we got in our past because of what Jesus did. And when we got saved, lift the rug. The dirt's gone. Thank God it's been cleansed through the blood of Jesus. Boy, that word word atonement. That's a word we need to be familiar with. The word atonement. There's a second A word in the Bible that I think God's people ought to be familiar with. Not only the word atonement, but what about the word accepted? Amen. Accepted. Now that word or some form of it appears 87 different times in the Bible. Accepted. Maybe I could say it like this. Because of the atonement, We're accepted. (laughs) Amen. The greatest use of the word accepted in the Bible to me is without this Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. This is the greatest time that it's used as far as the word itself in the Bible. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Wherein He hath made us. And there's the word. Boy, I tell you, we need to be familiar with that word. To be accepted. Boy, aren't you glad. You know something, the reason a lot of people mess their life up is because they want to be accepted. One of the reasons so many teenagers mess their lives up the way that they do is because they're trying to be accepted by their peers and by their friends. There's a deep longing within the heart of everybody in this room tonight to feel accepted, to find acceptance. But bless your heart, we may never find that in this walk of life. I may never get into that group that I want to get in. I may never get into that in crowd that I'm trying to be a part of. I may never be good enough. I may not wear the the nicest clothes. I may not live in the right kind of neighborhood. I may not drive the right kind of car to get into their group or to get into their movement. But I'm so glad when it comes to the family of God, hey, God don't let me in on the basis of what kind of clothes I do or don't wear. He don't let me in on the basis of what neighborhood that I do or don't live in. He don't let me in because of the kind of car that I do or don't drive. Thank God I'm accepted because of the finished work of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. You know, there was a time, there was a time when I, were not, when I was not accepted by God. There was a time when I was not acceptable to God. In fact, there was a time when I was rejected by God. I was loved by God, but I was rejected because of my sin, the distance, the barrier that it put between me and God, but because of what Jesus did. When I acknowledged my sinfulness and my utter unworthiness, and I accepted him, God accepted me when I accepted him. And now... I am accepted in the beloved. In fact, can I tell you this? I'm just as welcomed in the family as Jesus is. I'm just, I'm just as much accepted by God as Jesus is accepted by God. That blows my mind. I mean, when God looks at me, God sees me through the blood of his Son. And I am just as welcome in his presence as his own son is. I don't know about you, that blows my finite mind. You remember that story over in the book of Philemon? Philemon was a a wealthy man, lived in the city of He had a servant that worked for him by the name of Onesimus. We read that story, and Onesimus stole some money from Philemon and hightailed it to Rome. While he was there in Rome, his path crossed the path of the apostle Paul. Paul started telling about Jesus, and Onesimus got saved by the grace of God, and Paul wanted to send Onesimus back to Philemon, but Philemon had the right to kill him as a slave who had done him wrong, but Paul sent a letter through the hands of Onesimus, and in that letter, he said this right here in chapter 1, verse 17. Paul said, if thou therefore count me as a partner, receive Onesimus just like you'd receive me. Amen. Amen. In other words, when Onesimus walked up to Philemon put that letter out. I can see him as he, he winches in, in, the, in, the, in the presence of that man that he's wrong. He probably thinks, oh my goodness, he'll have me killed, at least incarcerated. But about that time when Onesimus came to that part where Paul said, or Philemon came to that part where Paul said, hey, if you're my partner, here's what I want you to do. I want you to receive him just like you'd receive me. Welcome him just like you'd welcome me. And there stands Onesimus expecting the worst. And about that time, Philemon sticks his hand out and says, welcome Paul, welcome home. Aren't you glad, friend, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary? I'm not saying this arrogantly. I'm not saying this braggadociously, but I am saying that I'm welcome. I'm glad I'm accepted in the family of God just like Jesus is. Now that may not mean much to you, but I know this. I know a lot of people, when they come into God's family, one of the things that hounds them is the guilt of their past life. I mean, you stop and think about it. I don't want you to take a trip down memory lane. But, you know, man, some of us in here were pretty rough before we got saved. Am I right? I mean, there was the good people, the good moral people, brought up in church and, thank God, got saved. But I tell you what, there's some of us in here, whoo. Well, it was pretty rough, wasn't we? No. Y'all was pretty rough, wasn't you? i told him it was bad. I mean, some of y'all was, I mean, it's tough. I've heard you, uh, you share some of the things about what your life was like before you got saved. I said, whoo, man. He was meaner than a snake, wasn't he? It was bad. And when you come into God's family... You drag all the guilt of that into the family with you. But I want to give you some good news tonight. I want you to look up on the screen. I'm playing on the word accepted. Watch this. When I accept him, he accepts me. I accept his acceptance of me. So therefore, I can accept me. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, God loves me so much that he welcomes me into his presence just like he would welcome his own son. Accept it. There's the word atonement. There's the word accepted. There's a third word, good A word in the Bible we need to be familiar with. That's this word, the word boom, abiding. You see, now because of the atonement, I'm accepted. But that's not the end of the story because now I need to abide in Christ now that I'm saved. There's a verse over in 1 John chapter 2 in verse number 28 that says something to this effect. Look at it right here. 1 John 2, 28. I'm sorry. There it is. And now, little children, there's that word now. Abide in him. By the way, talk about A words. Look at this verse. Abide in him, abide. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be. Talk about A words. Man, there's a whole sermon. Abide because he's going to appear and we don't want to be ashamed. We have got to abide. Abide. What's that word mean? It means to stay put. It means to remain. It, it means to continue. It means to stay close to. It means to stand. In other words, what, we're, what I'm trying to say is in these last days, we better position ourselves near the Savior. Abide in him. Isn't that verse over in John? What's that? John 14 verse 16 verse says this. I'll pray to the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Aren't you glad God's going to abide with us forever? He's going to stay. He's going to remain. He's going to continue. He's going to stand. He's always going to be there. But he says to us now, I'm going to abide with you. But now really the problem is not my abiding with you. The problem is your abiding with me. We better stay close to Him. We're sheep in the midst of wolf country. Can I have an amen? I mean, man, there's things out here in this world that would tear us to stress. The only, the only protection little sheep have got is in the presence of the shepherd. We better stay close to Him. So there's the word atonement. Say it with me. Atonement. What's the second word? What's the third word? I want to close with this word and we're done. And that's the word boom armor. Now watch this. So so we're in the family. Praise the Lord. The blood got me in. I'm now accepted just like Jesus is. But I better stay close to him. And every morning I better put on the armor of God. Why? I'll tell you why we're in a war. We're in a war. We're in a battle. We've got, we got an enemy. we got an adversary that's seeking to destroy our lives. He's a roaring lion. We're a little sheep. What can we do as a sheep in the presence of a roaring lion? I mean, he'll tear us to shred. We better put on the armor of God every day of our lives. What's that good verse? Is Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. Put on, say it with me, put on the whole Armor, armor. Boy, we need the helmet of salvation. We need the breastplate of righteousness. We need the belt of truth. We need our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need the sword of the spirit. I'm telling you, if we're going to make it in these days we're living in, we're going to need the armor. All right, now follow me. Yes, follow me. So we've got Ark, we've got angel. We've got altar, we've got atonement, we've got accepted, we've got abiding, we've got armor. In addition to that, we've got appearing, we've got ashamed. Oh my goodness, could we go on and on and on? You say, we could, preacher, but Columbo's getting ready to come on. (laughs) Great Bible words every child of God should know. So if somebody comes up to you in the morning and says, hey, what about atonement? Say, oh, yeah, I'm sweeping it under the rug. Jesus don't sweep it under the rug. What about abiding? Oh, that's me staying close to him. What about acceptance? What does that mean, acceptance? You know, in our day, that's almost become a dirty word. Tolerance, acceptance. We just accept anybody. No, sir, God only accepts those who have accepted his son. Amen. You're welcome. And we better abide and we better put on the armor. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for.